Welcome to a worship this evening. Our call to worship comes from Psalm 63, verses 1 through 3. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Our scripture reading this evening is found in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 2, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Colossians 2, 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. For I would that ye knew what great conflict I have for you. And for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. The grass withers and the flower fades, but this word of our Lord endures forever. Therefore, dear brother, be diligent in collecting the alms, prudent and cheerful in the distribution of the same. Assist the oppressed, provide for the true widows and orphans, show liberality unto all men, but especially to the household of faith. Be faithful in your office and hold the mystery of the faith in a pure conscience, being a good example unto all the people. And so doing, you will purchase to yourself a good decree, a good degree, and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. And hereafter enter into the joy of our Lord. And on the other hand, beloved Christians, receive this man as a servant of God. Provide this deacon with good means to assist the indigent. Be charitable, you rich. Give liberally and contribute willingly. And you who are in need, look unto God in your need and thank Him who by His Holy Spirit makes His church willing and able to supply your needs. Follow Christ for the food of your souls but not for bread. Let him that has stolen or who has been burdensome to his neighbors steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the things which are good, 
that he may give to him that needeth. Each of you doing those things in your respective callings shall receive of the Lord the reward of righteousness. But since we are unable of ourselves, let us call upon the name of the Lord. We don't live in a safe world. There's many uh, dangerous things that surround us, and these aren't only dangerous to our lives, but dangerous as well to our minds. There's dangerous ideas, dangerous ideologies, and everyone has a, a different opinion about what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is dangerous and what is safe. And there are people who seek to avoid the harmful effects of the world around them, often by isolating themselves from the world around them. You see environmentalists who retreat to eco-villages where they, they strive to live sustainable lives. You see preppers who seek to avoid the consequences of a perceived societal collapse. So they try to set up an existence where they live off the grid. You see committed communists set up communes seeking to live out their ideals free from the influences of capitalism. If you look other places in the world, you see Buddhist and Hindu monks who separate themselves. They, they isolate themselves in monasteries and, and temples in order to be less tied to the influences of the surrounding world. And even in Christianity, we see these things that have occurred, they occur today, and also have occurred in the past. Christians attempting to, to avoid the influence of the world so that they can become more spiritual. Some have become hermits and lived in the wilderness. Others have joined monastic orders in order to avoid worldly influence. And some early church fathers had, had a lot of respect for these hermits and, and monks. And they would visit them in order to get spiritual advice. And even wishing some of them that they could live their lives like these hermits and monks. Today, not too many of, the, of these hermits or monks exist. But most of us are familiar with the Amish. Or the older order Mennonites who, who seek to avoid the modern world to set up their own separate communities throughout. And you can find them throughout much of the world. They go so far as to reject most modern conveniences. Including electricity, gas-powered engines, and telephones. And we too... As Christians, being Christians, we are called to be separate from the world. We are called to not let ourselves be influenced by the world. So should we follow the example of the Amish or the monks and hermits 
of the past? How are we to live the Christian life? How are we to faithfully in this world live out our faith? Well, Paul addresses this in our text. As we find it in Corinthians, or sorry, as we find it in Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. Let me read it again. It says, Paul writing to the Colossians, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Our theme this evening is, Continue to live in Christ Jesus the Lord. Firstly, by walking in Him. Secondly, by being free from deceitful teaching. And thirdly, by being complete in Him. Now, over the past few months, we have slowly been been going through this, this book of Colossians. And Paul is writing to these Colossians because they're a new church. A church, in fact, that he's, he's not visited, but he's, he's familiar with their, their struggles. He's heard about what they're going through. And their one particular struggle in Colossae is they're dealing with false teaching. And we're not told the particulars of this teaching. Some commentators think it's a type of a Jewish mysticism, but others uh, think it is something of more pagan origins, maybe Gnosticism. We cannot be sure what the nature of the false teaching is that they're facing. And though, you know, it would be nice for us to know this, the, the Holy Spirit has not divulged this information to us. And in this letter, Paul is directing the Colossians, to the original message that they heard. This wasn't a message that they, they heard from directly from Paul, but a message they heard from Ephesus, who, who heard Paul in Ephesus and then came to Colossians with the gospel, or to Colossi with the gospel. Ephesus heard Paul speaking in Ephesus and he returned home to Colossae and he shared the gospel with, with all of the people around him. And now Paul writes to them. And he's reminding them of this message that they heard from Ephraim, the teachings that they heard from him, the teachings that they first loved and, and they first believed. And Paul says, as ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him. Continue to walk in Him. Just as these people have received Christ and His gospel, so Paul is urging them here to continue walking in Christ. To walk in something here 
as Paul writes here, is actually to live it out. It's, it's to embrace it. Paul is urging the Colossians, in fact, this is a command, he's commanding them to live in Christ, to walk in and with Jesus Christ the Lord. And you notice what Paul adds here. It's nothing profound, it's, it's quite simple, but he adds this extra, the Lord. He says, Jesus Christ the Lord. He's, he's reminding the Colossians, he's reminding them that not only must Jesus Christ be first in their lives, but that also that he is a Lord. And therefore he is due obedience, he's due homage from them. Christ ought to be first in their lives because he is the first one. He is Lord. He is the one who is overall. And as Paul said earlier, he is the one who is preeminent. Now, when we first look at verses 6 and 7, you might be tempted to think that everything said in these verses is a command. We have the command in in verse 6, walk ye in him. That is a command. But as we read through it and we read about being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, we might be tempted to think that these are commands too, that rooted is in the imperative and built up is in the imperative and established is, is the imperative and abounding is in the imperative. But this isn't what Paul is doing here. The command to the Colossians is that they ought to walk in Jesus Christ. They must live lives that are dependent on him. Lives that find their purpose and their hope in him. These are actually descriptions of what it will look like to the person who walks in Christ. The person who lives in the Lord Jesus Christ. The person who, who, who lives their life dependent on Him. The person who walks in Christ will be rooted. They, they will be built up. They will be established in the faith. They will be abounding therein with thanksgiving. These are the outworking. These are, this is the inevitable result of living in the Lord Jesus Christ. The first thing that Paul mentions here is being rooted in him. Here he compares the Christian to a tree or plant whose, whose roots are deep into good soil. A plant that receives its nutrients, its life from the soil in, in which it's planted. This is a plant with with deep roots. It can't be easily uprooted or or carried away by a storm or by every wind of false doctrine, as Paul puts it elsewhere. Children, I'm sure you've walked through forests before and you've seen trees that have been uprooted. They're lying on their side and, and at the base you see where the roots are. And usually when you look at this tree, it's, it's been blown over by a strong wind. 
A strong wind that has gone through and whipped this tree from side to side until its roots couldn't hold it anymore. And it toppled over on its side. Its roots weren't deep enough to keep it anchored in the soil. In Ephesians 4, Paul speaks about the winds of false doctrine. And his wish here is that the Colossians, that they they would be deeply rooted in the Lord Jesus Christ. They would be deeply rooted in the gospel. And that the proverbial winds of false doctrine, they can storm and blow. But because they're so deeply anchored in Christ, they, they wouldn't be uprooted. If they're deeply rooted in Christ, they would be able to withstand the allurement of of distracting and false teaching. Paul wants them and he, he wants us too to be deeply rooted. He doesn't want them to, to be moved, to be swaying from side to side, going from one opinion to the next, but to be anchored in Jesus Christ and the gospel. He doesn't want them nor us to be moved away from the message we have received, from the gospel we have received, but that we would be anchored in Christ and the gospel, that we would not be moved from the foundation of our faith, Christ and his gospel. And furthermore, Paul's desire is that the Colossians would would be built up in him, He moves here from a botanical or agricultural illustration to a construction or architectural one. First he's speaking about trees, but now he's speaking about building. And he's not making a different point here, but Paul's actually reinforcing the the point he's, he's just made. Both examples denote an initial or prior foundational act of believing, but also include an ongoing growth in faith. We see with the tree, the tree is is planted. It's rooted upon Christ, and thus rooted, it must only grow and prosper. The same can be said for a building. If a building is is built on the foundation of Christ, if a Christian is built on the foundation of Christ, he or she will continue to be built up and grow until the building is finished. Additionally, Paul wants the Colossians and wants us to walk established in the faith as we have been taught. He does not want them to to move on to new teaching, but he he wants them to grow, to be strengthened, to be more committed to what they have learned. And as they live for Christ, the natural outworking of this, the natural outworking of walking close with the Lord Jesus Christ is that they will be abounding in thanksgiving. This abounding in thanksgiving is the natural posture, the natural state of the Christian who is walking with their Savior. What a way to live as a Christian. 
being, to be rooted and built up in Christ, to, to be established in the faith, to be abounding in thanksgiving. But we can only do this. We can only do this. We can only live this type of life if Jesus Christ and His gospel are our motivation. If they're the driving factor in our lives. When Christ is added to our life, when we... By grace, through faith, walk in Him. This becomes true in our lives. When we add Christ to our lives, our lives fundamentally change. And this is what we must do, all of us here. We must turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, stop making ourselves the center of our existence, but turn to Him and trust in Him. Turn to Him and repent of our sins and confess that we need to live our lives for Him, that we need His Holy Spirit to put Him, as it were, in our hearts so that we can come to an end of ourselves and come to know Him and love Him. But even as Christians, we confess that often we, He doesn't, isn't the center of our lives. Even as believers, we become distracted and move away from the gospel that we have received by faith. Therefore, we must not lose sight of Jesus Christ, but we must live in Him. We must live and breathe His Word and be grounded in the message of the gospel that that He has revealed to us. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ that that separates us. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that holds us, that keeps us from being moved, that separates between true and false teaching. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that divides between works of righteousness and true righteousness that is found alone in Jesus Christ. Therefore, to be a Christian... Therefore, to live out our faith means that we are anchored, we are rooted, we are built up, we are established, and we find our joy in Christ alone. What does this look like? We can speak theoretically and use a variety of platitudes, but do we know what it is to live in Christ? To have our lives rooted in Him and His gospel. To live in Christ means that we live our lives grounded in in His message. That we live our lives immersed, surrounded by, and founded upon the gospel. 
Are we grounded in the gospel? Are we grounded in the good news of Jesus Christ? Or have we complicated it? Have we added things to it? Have we become like some of the Colossians and allowed deceitful philosophy to to tarnish the message that we received from our Savior? We use this word often. We use the word gospel often. We talk about preaching the gospel. We talk about spreading the gospel. We, We speak about living out the gospel. But do we know what the gospel is? And if we know it, are, are we believing it? Are we living it out? Well, the word gospel finds its origins in the ancient Greek. The word for gospel is euangelion, and it means good news. And perhaps you've heard it being used in this way. You've had someone knock at your door, an evangelist knock at your door, and you open the door, and the first thing they say to you is, have you heard the good news? In a sense, they're saying, have you heard the gospel? And this, in fact, is exactly what happened in the early church. Christians would, would talk to their friends, to their neighbors. They'd ask them excitingly if they had heard the good news, if they've heard the gospel. What exactly is this good news? What exactly is the gospel, the foundational message that the Colossians and us have received and that we must continue to walk in through faith? The gospel is Jesus Christ. He is the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The good news is that we can be saved from our sin by grace through faith on account of the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the foundational message of our faith. It is in this Savior and it is in this good news that we must live and walk. By God's grace and through the Holy Spirit's work, it is Christ and His gospel that shapes us, that changes us, that eradicates sin from our lives. It is this Savior, it is His good news that makes us more like Him so that we grow in grace, so that we grow in our intimate knowledge of Him. So that we proclaim his good news having hearts that are abounding in thanksgiving because of the gospel. Now of course there's there's much more to be said about the gospel. There's much more that, that can be preached from this pulpit. To borrow from the apostle John this world let alone this sermon cannot contain what can be said about Christ. And the message of salvation. But what is is most important here. 
is not the quantity of the message, but the quality of the message. Ultimately, it is not important how much doctrine and philosophy you know, how well versed you are in the spirituality of the Christian faith, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ. What is important is that you know Him. What is important that you believe this message. And that all of your knowledge, all of your experience find their root, find their foundation in Him. And if none of us are grounded in Christ, we will find ourselves, surely find ourselves, susceptible to false teaching. Easily led astray by things that appear wise, but really are vain proclamations of foolish human hearts. Paul mentions philosophy here. He mentions vain deceit and traditions of men, and the Colossians were dealing with this. And again, as I mentioned earlier, some commentators theorize that this was of a gentle, Gentile or Gnostic origin. Others speculate that they were, the false teaching was of a Jewish origin, particularly a more mystical Jewish sect that worshipped angels. But perhaps both were present in Colossae. Regardless of what they believe, Paul warns the, the new Colossian believers to beware of this false teaching. He says to them, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Now when Paul speaks about being spoiled through philosophy and vain deceit, He's not speaking here in the sense of a spoiled child. This isn't philosophy and vain deceit that pampers and indulges a person. Rather, I want you to think of a band of marauding bandits that burn and pillage a town and that carry away the spoils of their violent activities. That's the sense of the word here. Paul is saying, rather, beware that you're not taken captive. Beware that you don't become the spoils of false teaching. That you are not deceived by the basic principles of an ungodly world. We too live in a world full of ideas, full of false beliefs and false world views, a, a world with countless more false teaching than the Colossians faced. And some of these things that surround us, they, they may seem ridiculous. Some of it may be pleasant or easy to hear. Some of it may even seem right or true to our minds. What are we depending on to discern truth from foolishness? Are we looking at the world and our own hearts only through our own eyes, only through our own intellect? Or is Christ and His message our foundation? 
Are our hearts being shaped by the gospel? Are we looking at the world around us through the lenses of the gospel? Are we examining our hearts and beliefs by the word of God? We live in a world where we're so bombarded by so much false messaging that it cannot but affect us. It it does affect us. And in ourselves, we cannot stand up to this. If left to ourselves, we will be taken captive by worldly philosophy and the traditions of men. If we do not find our anchor in Christ, we will succumb to the vain reasoning of the world. It may not happen suddenly. But if you're only depending upon your own intellect, your own emotions, and maybe using Scripture out of context when it supports your view, slowly your beliefs will change until you find yourself a complete slave to false teaching. Therefore, all of us, in this world in which we live, we must, by grace through faith, we must strive to be diligent to walk in Christ, to fill our lives, to to fill our hearts and our minds with Him. This is the only way that we will endure, that we will be able to become established in the faith and abounding in thanksgiving. We must fill ourselves with the gospel. We must count it a privilege to read and hear God's word. This isn't a burden. Yes, it takes discipline, but it's a delight and a privilege. The simple disciplines of the Christian faith. It may not compete with the endorphin high you get when you look at YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. But unlike those things, the gospel and God's word is life-giving. It roots and builds you up in the faith. It leads to a life of joyful adoration towards Christ. A life that is abounding in thanksgiving. And as we sit here tonight, as we look around us, we see the challenges we face as believers. We see the numerous ideologies and winds of doctrine that oppose Christ and the gospel. And it can be overwhelming. It can be overwhelming to consider how we as, as individuals, let alone how we as a church, can, can flourish as Christians. And as our Western world seems to be continuing in its abandonment of Christ, I'm concerned too. I'm concerned how it's going to affect me. But I'm much more concerned about how it will affect my children's lives. We are already being daily bombarded with lies, false teaching, and erroneous worldviews. 
How long will we, how long will our children be able to endure? Thankfully, Paul writes more. He writes in verses 9 and 10, For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power. If we are to continue living in Christ, we can do so because we are complete in him. He is the answer to our salvation. He is the answer to our justification. He is the answer to our sanctification. And He is the answer to our preservation. I'm sure you've seen the the little child, maybe in an elementary classroom or in a, a Sunday school room. Little child, whenever you ask a question, they they raise their hand and you ask them for an answer and they they always give the same answer. They say, Jesus. You know, in many ways, we need to be like that child. Because Jesus is the only answer. Paul here not only directs us to Christ by telling us to walk and live in Him, but he shows us here why we must do so. Why Jesus and His gospel are true. And why we must be found in Him. Jesus Christ is a sure foundation. He is truth. He is true. He is wisdom. Because, as Paul says, in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead, of the deity, boldly, bodily. Jesus Christ is God. He is not part God. He is not a fickle God like the Greek or Roman gods. He is not a God like our culture superheroes that we see in comics and movies. He is Almighty God. He is the perfectly holy, righteous, just, and sovereign God. He rules over all things and nothing that happens is outside of His control. No philosophy of men, no vain teaching fools Him. He falls prey to no deceitful ideology. He is in control. He is the head of all principality and power. He rules over all the rulers of the world, both human and spiritual powers. And He will never bow to their influence. He has purchased through His blood this God This one who is in control of all things. Who is not influenced by falsehood. By lies. He has purchased through his blood the salvation of each of you, his children. And not one of you will go lost. We just read this in the Westminster 
larger catechism. And Paul is urging the Colossians and urging us to look to this Christ, to find ourselves in this Christ, to have Him be the foundation of our lives. And as he says here, if we are found in Jesus Christ, the Lord, we are complete in Him. Now, complete is also translated full or filled. We are filled with Christ. We are complete. He is everything we need. And He freely offers Himself to us tonight again. And He comes to us, and in His goodness, He commands us to walk in Him. And the amazing thing is, though, that what He commands, He willingly works in the hearts of sinners. So here He commands us to walk in Him. Therefore, Take a step forward by faith, trusting in Him. Do not trust in the fact that you took a step. Do not trust in the way you took a step or how you felt when you took that step. Do not wait to take a step. Do not wait for the right feeling to take a step. But take a step believing His promises, believing His word, believing what He says about Himself. And then take another step, trusting Him. And another, and another, until you are walking. And then keep walking by faith until you are running. And then, when we're running, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Our great Lord in heaven, we thank Thee, dear Lord, for Thy amazing goodness. And we stand here tonight as sinners, broken, empty sinners who need Thee. And we pray, O Lord, that Thou would work in each of our hearts so that all of us would walk by grace, through faith, in Christ. That each of us here would know what it means to live our lives for Thee. That we would know 
the joy of salvation. And we pray, dear Lord, that Thou would keep us from the deceitful ideologies and lies of the world, that Thou would protect our children, that Thou would remember Thy covenant promises and work in their hearts. We need Thee, Lord. We need Thee every hour. We pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.